Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. I am so pumped for today's episode. You guys, I have my friends, Chris and Tracy Warhop on the podcast. They are the first couple I have ever had on a longer table. And I'm so pumped because they're not only um, this incredible couple that you're going to get to know throughout this episode, but they're real life friends of Eric and I. And I'm so thankful that I met them through being married to Eric and kind of entering his friend group. But um, I'm going to let you get to know them for yourself. So Chris and Tracy, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited. Are you nervous? Is this your first podcast? No. <laughs> we Good. are excited. This is this is this is great. I'm a podcast pro. I had one for a while, so yeah. I love that. See, awesome. I there's still stuff I'm learning about you. This is great. Nice. I want to okay, so people can't obviously see you guys. So let me just spell it out for everyone. Chris is a black man. Tracy is a white woman. Y'all have been married for over 10 years, which we're going to talk about marriage. I'm so pumped to talk about that. But I want to first start with the fact that you're an interracial couple, which to me feels very like, not to say like, who cares, but it doesn't like, it doesn't make me gasp. It's like very normal to me. Um, and I'm curious though, with everything going on in the world today, um, I want to talk about as an interracial couple specifically, maybe what challenges you faced in the past and what challenges you face presently. So let's go to the past when you first started dating, or maybe when you got engaged, like did your families embrace each other or, or was there, was your, was the color of your skin ever a barrier in dating and being together? That's a good question. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no. So both, both of those, um, I do believe, uh, I've always had a very diverse group of friends. I've always dated a diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. So when Chris came into our, my family picture, it was not like Mm -hmm. new. It was nothing that my immediate family was shocked by or Mm -hmm. didn't know how to respond to. Um, and then there were a couple, I would, I would say extended family, or you could say older generation family mm-hmm. members that were a little bit more surprised by it. Um, I, I, I would say we were blessed. There was no one in, cause usually you would see that in a white family more than you would see it in the black family, yeah. unfortunately. And there was probably one or two people that were a little more particular or taken back. Didn't know Chris had never met him had never seen him, just knew his race. And immediately they weren't exactly too pleased Mm. with that situation. Um, But of course, the good thing that is that all changed when they met him. Um, I'm a cool dude. He's he's not too bad. I'm I'm okay. So, uh, so when we first, you know, dated and got engaged, um, yes and no, there were, there were really, great people who responded like they should. And there were a couple people that had to really get to know him and learn who he was as a person and not by looking at him or hearing who he was, mm-hmm. you know, from that perspective. Yeah. You know, growing up in California, we are very, um, it's very diverse. My family, um, we are, my uncles from my father, you know, we've dated outside our race um, and one thing you know about the black, the black culture is we are very accepting people. So when my family found out about Tracy, they just saw how happy I was. 
and they they woke up with open arms. I mean, you got you get the questions from family like, "Are you sure?" You know, are you sure, sure? And I was like, yes, I'm happy. I love her. And after meeting Tracy and being with her, you know, dating, I didn't really see a color after that. I just saw a really cool person, someone that I just fell in love with. Um, but, you know, there's there, there's always questions from, you know, I think I remember one time I got, you know, I got, you know, my, um, one of my family members was like, just want to make sure you may deal with some things and she might not know how to handle it. Are you okay with that? And I pushed back and, you know, kind of squash that immediately. But um, you're always going to get questions from family members that truly don't understand, you know, the relationship. At the, as I was at the beginning, now everything is is great. So, Yeah, that's really cool. I, yeah. I love that. That's awesome that you guys, it doesn't sound like there was too much adversity or hardship in the beginning of yeah. <clears throat> your relationship. And now you've been together so long and you have children together who are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I seriously think your kids are some of the most gorgeous children on the planet. I told Eric, I'm so bummed that he's white because our baby, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no offense <laughs> to our baby. Like someday when he <laughs> hears this, but I'm like, you're just not going to be as cute as a biracial kid. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I want to talk about presently, like, have you had struggles more currently with being an interracial couple, maybe even by the outside world or with politics and with Black Lives Matter movement and people in families or friend groups not understanding or being Mm -hmm. aligned? Tell me about that. Has that been a struggle? Yeah, it's it's fascinating for us to sit back and watch and, and talk about it, you know, in our own home and outside of the home some days because, um, being an interracial couple, race is always a subject when you walk into a building and depending where you are and who you're with, it's something we've always dealt with, but all of a sudden now the world is seeing this. Now the world is dealing with us. Now you have questions. Now you have responses. Now you have comments. Now you have opinions, which, you know, it's like we've been going through this for years and um, black people have been going through this for years, but now all of a sudden in the present moment, you have white people who are discovering they were clueless or they want to learn or they're coming out in a certain way with questions and, uh, or opinions again. And, um, you know, I think now presently you're, you're just seeing a lot more, a lot more happening, a lot more conversation, which is good. We need to have these conversations. So it's great, but we are facing more now that we didn't, you know, we never thought we would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the fact that we're having this conversation on this podcast, obviously we haven't even gotten to the marriage stuff, which is what I totally would have wanted you guys on for regardless. But it's like, this was something that was top of mind with everything going on. So to your point, there, there there's truth behind that for sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's probably something that it's much more top of mind now for you guys than maybe five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even five years ago, it was it was a subject like race was, you know, you know, like I said, depending where you would go or who you were with, but it wasn't, um, it was very different than even right now than five years later, because now people are seeing the reality of, you know, what the world can be like and what happens. And, you know, people are asking questions and we're, we're like, why didn't you ask us this question five years ago? Why didn't you ask us this 10 years ago? Why are you just now seeing things? Mm. Um, and probably more of like our white family members, um, some of our white family members still don't care to have those conversations. Some of them do. So you're just seeing a lot of 
uh, a lot of people are coming to light in this, yeah. which is good and bad. Um, but there's a lot that has been changing this year. Yeah, I've had one of those conversations probably this past couple of weekends <clears throat> with family. And it, it's very interesting just kind of getting the behind the scenes of what you know others are thinking, especially like some of your family members. And it was like, okay, that I see why we're at where we're at after having some of these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 100%. Just, it's like, okay, you clearly don't know what's going on outside of your bubble. And that's kind of like, oh, I get it. Yeah. And unfortunately, during this time, I had to cut a lot of people too, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to let some of those friendships go because of all this. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's hard. But at the same time, there are certain things that we can't negotiate on, right? So like if someone can't say Black Lives Matter and they refuse and they only say All Lives Matter and they cannot, no matter what analogy I give them, understand why I'm saying Black Lives Matter um, and all they want to focus on is whether or not I support the actual movement and organization of Black Lives Matter, like I'm I'm not going there. Like I'm just like, you're missing the point. So I feel frustrated. And I can only imagine your frustration, Chris, because you are black. You are the one being impacted by all of this. And this is nothing new to you. Like you said earlier, Tracy, um, this is, you're probably like, yay, everyone's finally arriving and like being like aware, (laughs) but at the same time, it's probably annoying. Yeah. We maybe have 10% of the world on board now (laughs) and we're, we're getting there. We're slowly getting there. I mean, the good thing is though, I, this is the first I've been on this movement before it was cool to be on the Black Lives Matter movement, you know? Yep. So it's, but I see, I, I feel hope that I see some of my friends and her friends actually, all right, it's time for me to listen. I see how it's impacting Chris. I see why Chris is frustrated. And it's kind of cool that I see multiple, you know, different nationalities coming together actually yes. on protesting in the streets peacefully. I may add that. And just, you know, bringing awareness and spreading the awareness to those who aren't out of that bubble. And it's, it's, I see some encouragement. We have a long ways to go. Got a lot of work to do, but I'm encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's, I mean, it's good to hear that you are encouraged and it's not only been annoying or frustrating or cutting off friendships, but that there's actually been some beauty in all of this because it's really hard and it's yes. not going anywhere. Um, we're, and, yes. it, and that's the thing is like, we're just getting started for those of us white people who are basically arrived yesterday. Like we're just yes. getting started. So we might come back to that. Um, as we carry on and talk a little bit about your children who are biracial, but let's, I want to talk about, this is what I'm, I mean, I'm excited about all of it, but yeah. you guys <laughs> have been married for how long now? In a couple of weeks, 11 years. Yay. I love that. Congrats. Okay. 11 years. And honestly, seeing you guys together in person, every time I've seen you guys, um, on social media with the things that you post, which you're not like, you, it doesn't ever feel like, look at us and posting all the time, but just whenever I see a little post, I'm like, they just exude authentic happiness together and you guys have fun together. And so I view a no couples perfect. I don't put you on a pedestal, maybe, maybe a small one, but like, (laughs) I'm just like, they are goals. Like I want to have such a fun marriage after 10 years. Like, you know, we're only halfway to that. So I want to know from your guys's perspective, what, um, what has been the secret sauce? What's kept your marriage thriving, especially after 10 years? Answer first. Thank you for that. Yeah, go, yeah. go ahead. So the biggest thing is communication. 
I know that seems so just simple. Oh, just talk, communicate. But I'm talking about communication in every aspect of your marriage, even from the things you love to things you absolutely hate that they do. Or, the, you know, just even it, it may seem simple, but just talk about everything, even if it gets a little redundant. So we kind of get the picture across. I mean, anything from career goals to sexual needs to whatever, communicate, period. That's yes. Good. We, we, we do have so much fun. I, yeah. I love, I love being a witness to being married over 10 years, like actually being able to have that testimony to tell people mm-hmm. marriage is amazing. It's phenomenal. It's fun. And marriage can be so great. I think we live in a world now where we forget what marriage was meant to be, what God really created marriage to be. Mm-hmm. And marriage is so amazing. Like I, it gets better every single year and everyone's like, Oh, wait till you hit this year or you haven't been married yeah. long enough. And we're going like, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Like he, the day, like every second he walks in the door, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I missed you. No, she's not lying. She really does. <laughs> we like, I love every bit of marriage, like the communication, the struggle, the fun times, the, the hard times, every bit of it is, is great because it's only, it's a growing process. Every struggle is a bit to learn about each other and to grow further. And everything that's fun just shows you what, that God actually put somebody on the earth that can make you that happy and allow you, allow you to have a spouse that's there for you when you need them. I mean, there's so many aspects to marriage that are just so, so amazing. And it, we do, we do have a really fun marriage. Of course, it's not perfect, but it gets better every year. I agree. That's exciting. I remember, I'm glad you agree. I you know it's funny because <laughs> it was too, it was like, if you make it past seven years, you're good. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, okay, we're at 10. I think we were smooth. We always joke, oh, we made it past seven we years. Oh, seven, we made it yeah. past nine years. Yes. <laughs> and it's a sad reality because I see a lot of friends, people that I, you know, kind of got married with. We're on the same time, and those some of these marriages are coming to an end. It's pretty sad. I look at ours; mm-hmm. it's like, man, we were going so strong. It's like kind of you know <laughs> scary in a way. Yeah, good. It's good. You know, I use that figuratively. Good, scary. Awesome. Yeah, good, <laughs> scary. It's like, wow, we have so much more to learn and mm-hmm. so much more to accomplish together. We've been together for eleven. Well, we've been together for over you know thirteen years. But it's like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I love that you said the piece about communication. I agree. That's something that, so two things that you said that I agree with are the communication advice. And then Tracy, when you said that marriage gets better every year, again, in only five years of marriage, Eric and I would say the exact same thing. When we look Mm -hmm. each year, we've said this year was better than the last. And I think it's, it's partly because of what you said about communication. We talk much more openly in year five or six, whatever we're Yeah. We're like in year six now, I think is how you track that. I'm like really bad at math. Um, the numbers, it confuses me, but we talk so much more about our sex life and our needs Mm -hmm. and our desires. And we're, we're just way more open than we were in year one or, you know, about things that he does that drive me crazy or things that I do that, um, he wishes I did more, um, whatever it is. So I think that's been super helpful. What else has kept your marriage? Like, what do you think some of the other things are that you would attribute your strong marriage to? We definitely know how to laugh together. Yeah. We, we love to laugh together. We have fun. Um, so you definitely have to have fun. 
you have to take things very lighthearted. I mean, very lightly. So if something really uh, upsets you or you're really frustrated or something you don't like, you really have to go look. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And you have to make that choice to work through that. You have to make that choice to be selfless, to become humble, to ask for forgiveness when you need it and to go, look, I was wrong, you know, and we, we can, we can do better. And when you're wrong, you have a lot of makeup sex. <laughs> I uh, love I it. it. Yeah, it's fun. But, see, uh, <laughs> see you, is I, that why you're wrong all the time? Yeah, I do it on purpose. <laughs> I start stuff on purpose. For, for the, the makeup the, sex. Oh, the my end gosh. Goal, the end game. It's you all know? for that one thing. Yeah, I mess, up, I mess up three or four times a week. <laughs> That's just a mess up. Never mind. Let me stop. Let me go. <laughs> I am dying. I'm dying because... <laughs> I, when I'm mad at Eric or when I've been mad at Eric, that is when I push him away the hardest. Like it is very hard for me. If I'm not emotionally fulfilled, it's really hard for me to open up to that physical intimacy. So I need to figure out this whole makeup sex thing, because even if we've like recovered from a fight, I have a really hard time being like, yes, you can touch me. Like I'll lay in bed and I'll like turn over and I'm like, I forgive you, but you still can't touch me. But don't touch. You don't get this. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the, at the athlete perspective. You know how, as athletes, former athlete you are as well, we are told to channel our anger into our sport. Well, kind of look at it as that way as well. <laughs> oh, my God. You know? You know what I'm saying? Quote-worthy. Nope. I got nudged. Let me stop. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, so okay, clearly y'all are open to, you laugh a lot together. You try to keep yeah. things lighthearted. Okay, we, you yeah. talk and communicate a lot. Clearly, sex is a priority. Has oh, it's that, yeah, huge priority. Has that also gotten better and maybe easier to prioritize the more years that have gone by, or has it gotten harder to prioritize, but you've just been diligent? Like, tell me the real truth from year one to year five to year 10. How has your sex life evolved? I'm very curious. I believe that when it becomes, I don't, I mean, I shouldn't compare it to this, but it's like your workout or your, your diet or different, it, when it's a priority, you will just do it. Yeah. It's not like, I think as time goes on, we're not like, Oh, it has to happen this many times a week, yeah. or it has to be like this. When you just let it happen and you, you just have fun again. And yeah. it, it just, yeah. and it helps that yeah. I am so physically attracted to you that, you know, it's like, Whoa, Hey, get over here. You know, it's like, like, I mean, that's, that you know. Yes. When you're physically attracted to someone, but also very, you have that insanely strong emotional connection. It just happens. And naturally you just want it to happen all the time. So you're tired or what? It's just, Hey, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Your priority. It it happens to be a priority because that's what you want to do with your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fair. I like that. This is good. Okay. But I have a, I have a serious question when your kids were little or when you just had a baby, like were those seasons tricky? Not just sexually, like in general, were those hard seasons? Oh, those are hard seasons. Yeah. Yeah. We no nobody's sleeping. There's no dates. There's no one-on-one time. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to make it every day. Yeah. Yeah. So they're hard. They're hard in every aspect. Yeah. 
So my question is, how do you recover from a hard season, whether it's due to kids or not? I guess that was just one example, but there could be a number. Somebody could have lost a job. Somebody could be struggling with their mental health. Somebody might've put on some weight, not feel good about themselves, right? There's so many different scenarios, um, that we could come up with that, that make it a hard season in a marriage. I guess my question is maybe what's the heart, one of the hardest things y'all have walked through together and how did you recover? How did you Cause a lot of people, I think they lose hope. It's like they go through something hard and then, you know, all of a sudden they're not having sex. And then it's been six months since they've had sex, or at least this is a couple that just came to me recently. And they were talking to me about, they were opening up to me about their struggles. And it's like, before that, you know it, they're like, we, we feel so distant from each other. So it's like, how do we recover yeah. before it gets to that point? So one thing I think we felt to mention at the beginning of the pod is we our marriage is based off of off of three entities ourselves and god so we're the core of three strands god's the middle he's the glue period there's no if ands or buts about that mm. so when you go through a hard time and we may say we're butting heads about something we have that common denominator in god that always miraculously not really brings us back together mm. whether it's a hardship whether it's a health issue or having two kids and the, the libido's not there it doesn't matter because when you have God, anything's possible. And he always just seems to bring us together. We learned early on in our marriage, even dating, we went through some very serious struggles from the time we were dating through engagement, through marriage, through our first child. And we learned very quickly that every time something happens, you pray together. Every single time something happens, you stop and you get on your knees and you pray for each other, you pray together. And that right there is your, is your base. And, you know, we, you, we just learned, you know, early that's, that's where it starts. But when we were um, early in our marriage, we went through, I went through serious health issues. And so Chris became very selfless and had to carry me through that basically. And then we had um, our first child through that and early in our marriage. So we went through a lot that taught us very early in our marriage, how to fight for what we want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I I just want to say, because people listening might have this curiosity or this wondering Tracy, Mm -hmm. what if my husband doesn't, is it on the same page as me? Or what if my wife doesn't want to pray? I I mean, let's, let's be honest. More often I hear the first, the, the part of, my husband won't pray with me or that feels awkward. Like any advice or wisdom to share with a couple who a person may be listening. Who's like, that's the kind of marriage I want. I desire that, but it feels so far-fetched for them. Yeah. Like one is participating in one and one is not. Yeah. So, and if that's the case, you push, you pray into something that happens when you pray for your spouse, um, whether they see it or not. And you just, you know, put it in God's hands. There's only so much we can do as humans and that's just pray. And also uh, show the actions you want reflected in your relationship. Mm. So if you were like, I want a husband that prays with me, I want a wife that prays with me, but you don't pray and they don't see it. I mean, that's the point. Show those actions that you want to see as well. That's good. That's great. That's a good starting point for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I just love it. And, um, I'm, I'm inspired. Like, I feel like I'm going to leave here and be like, Eric, I love you. <laughs> and just Extra loving. No, it, it's true. Actually, one of the things he told me always makes him feels the most loved is whenever he gets back from 
a work trip or even if he just went to go to an appointment or get a haircut or he goes to leave to get a coffee or whatever he's doing, goes to the grocery store, I don't know. And he comes home. He loves when I greet him with excitement. Like that, mm-hmm. that little gesture means so much to him to, to not just me be on my phone yeah. and to be like, Oh, Hey, yeah. but like to get up and to go hug him and like be excited yeah. to see him. Like, yeah, he's always telling me how much that yeah. means to him. That's funny. Cause I'm the total opposite. We're laughing because really? we're like, oh, man. we, we're, we're total. We're probably like you and Eric a little bit. We're we're totally opposite. I'm super like outgoing, talking about everything. And I'm always super excited and smiling. And Chris is very serious and he's, he's quiet and he's reserved and he walks in. And when I tell him how much I miss him, he's like, really? I just saw you like five minutes ago. And I'm like, really? I'm so excited. What are we going to do? (laughs) He's like, I love you, but I like space. Uh, hey, amen. Like, that uh, is so like yeah. Just smack me on the ass, but hey, what up? And I'm good. I'm happy. I don't need yeah, 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 Chris. Uh, uh, just <laughs> show me a little love and let me yeah, we move on, you know. Yeah. That is so funny. No, I it's it everyone's different, but yeah, it's like interesting to hear from your spouse. I remember Eric telling me that probably in year two of our marriage, and it stuck with me. And ever since then, it's something I'm really conscious of. Um okay. Because it's not natural for me to jump off the couch to be like, babe, like, I, I guess yeah. occasionally, occasionally it is, but, right. um, more often I do it because I know it makes him feel loved. And that's what you do when you love someone, you know, you listen yeah. to their needs, you listen to their desires, you, and, and yes. it's, it does it hurt me or cost me anything. No, it's actually a really easy thing. And it makes the world of a difference. It sets well, the tone you when it. he walks in the door. Yeah. yeah. You said it. it's listening. Listening is key. You, you yeah. have to listen to their needs and you have to listen to what, what, you know, what they have to say to you. And when you do that, yeah. it all, it all starts falling into place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Okay. We could keep talking for hours. So I want to go to the next part, which is kind of the final part. And that is, you know, we already talked about you're an interracial couple. You have these beautiful two biracial children. One's a girl, one's a boy. Unfortunately, the reality is in America, especially your son, um, maybe feel free to disagree, but especially your son is going to very much be identified as a black man and is going to be treated as a black man. And even though he's so cute and so smart and just like, honestly, in my eyes, like the perfect human, he could get pulled over and for no reason not come home that day. And I know that's like awful to say out loud and it's scary, but I want people to understand like the reality is that is the America we live in. Yes. Yes. How do we talk to our children about racism? How do we prepare them to grow up in this world and uh, without scaring them? Like what have you guys done? Not just now with recent events, but along the journey of raising your children Mm -hmm. to help them navigate their identity and to combat racism. Well, I think one thing with me is um, you just have to expose them to both cultures equally. It's really hard on our side because I literally have no family members here. So when I go out and mentor kids and I go into the inner city and, you know, and I mentor, I try to bring my kids with me. So they see, you know, how I was raised. They see the culture. They see how we talk, how they dress and the good and the bad. And he asked questions and I answered them. They need to see all walks of life. They need to see all walks of life. Yes. You know? 
And with Z, I don't like I, said, I don't say much now because he's 10. I don't want to scar him. But you know, there's a I I tell him how it is sometimes. And mm-hmm. he asks questions and we just answer them truthfully. We don't really sugarcoat much. He knows about the history, some of the history of, you know, black, you know, black people in America from the time, you know, so a little bit. I haven't gotten to anything graphic with him, but he knows that it's been unjust for African Americans since what 1619 you know so it's yeah so just biggest thing is just gradually educating and then when they ask questions because they're going to see it and people want to talk about it as they get older and older Mm -hmm. and he's going to come home dad i heard this and i was like yes i'll tell you about that Mm -hmm. or you know so yeah and there's those age appropriate lessons Mm -hmm. of course that you want to teach them but you also have to watch you know what you're saying and and um but you also don't want them to hear things from other people before they hear it from you. Um, And we always say, it's not, you know, what if you hear this or what if you experience this, we let them know you will Mm -hmm. and how to respond. So they're prepared and they're ready. Of course, like our daughter's younger. So for her, we haven't taught her as much as we've Mm -hmm. taught our son, but exactly what you said, hundred percent agreement. You know, our son is more of a concern than our daughter because he's going to be looked at as a black man at some point. And right now he's just, you know, still this cute little boy, but at some point he's going to be that black man. And, um, it's, he's actually a really good, we use him in lessons and we use him in, uh, conversations because people that know his personality very well, he wouldn't hurt a fly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, he's a very well-behaved good kid. So we like to use him in lessons when people are like, Oh, he's fine. But we're like, well, what if he was in this situation? And then all of a sudden, the, it's like a light bulb turns on, like, oh my gosh, like, I can't imagine. And we're trying to explain that that's what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. They look at him and all they see is this one image because all they've seen is his skin or his hair color, eye color, or whatever it may be. And um, we've really used him as a lesson, but we have had to teach him more than we thought this year. We've had to, we've had to show him you know, things that have gone on and teach him because we never thought he was going to, you know, we never thought right now that so much would be happening that we would have to explain to him about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that with just having our two boys who obviously are black and, um, Mm-hmm. not knowing, you know, how much do I tell a seven and a 10 year old? But when they yeah. saw, like, for example, when they saw Eric and I crying, when we were looking, we were both looking at our phones. It was the, it was, I think that was either George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery. I don't remember which one at the time, but we were, mm-hmm. both of us were like choked up. And so the boys are like, why are you sad? You know, they always pick up on that stuff. And yep. you know, we tell them in age appropriate language that this happened and right. this is a really sad thing. But the problem is like, then my 10 year old was like, I'm not, Oh, it was definitely Ahmaud Arbery because that's when he was scared to go outside. And you don't, and it broke my heart. And I said, I'm not going to force you to go outside. Like, yeah. How, how could I justify making him go play outside after that? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and our kids have already seen more than any kids their age ever should, but I just, it breaks me because similar to your kids, it's like, I look at my boys. I'm like, everyone thinks they're so cute now, but yet Mm -hmm. at some point it's going to turn and they're going to look at them as a threat. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. Um, and, and I also want to just acknowledge, and I've said this before, I think a number of times, 
I'm not exempt just because I'm currently raising black kids and have some black friends doesn't make me exempt. Like I still have to do my inner work to combat my racist thoughts and what's ingrained in me all the time daily. Um, this is a journey. So yeah, definitely didn't want to sound like I'm on a high horse because that's not where I'm coming from. No, but we, yep, exactly. Yep. We, we all that, I mean, we have, we have work to do every single day. We have a lot of work to do and we cannot stop every single day. There's lessons, you know, to learn and we have to grow ourselves, but you know, our interracial marriage or our biracial children are, you know, a witness. We are testimony when we walk outside. And so we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, you're, I just want to touch on the fact that you, I don't know the type of family you grew up in. That's something you all, you know, we've never talked about. So I have no idea when I say this, but you know, there's such a stigma. There's such a stereotype about black fathers and how they're not there and they're not present. And like, I love that you get to be like, a complete example of that's not true. Like don't lump uh-huh. everybody into one category. Exactly. And it's just, it's just cool to see. Sorry. I think you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be what I didn't have. So that's stereotype. you know, <laughs> it's like I said, my father was, wasn't around or he's in and out of you know jail. And then he passed away um, years ago, but I mean, I had some great father figures in my life later in my life, but I just know how I grew up, how that emptiness that I felt. I don't want that for my kids. So in a way, I kind of spoil my kids. I'm very tough on my children, but I show them so much love because that's what I was missing growing up. Yeah, hmm. yeah. May I just comment? He is the best. Da- I'm not just saying this because he's my husband. He is the best dad, daddy in the world. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a dad do with their children what Chris Warhop does. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No, honestly, they and you would never know that he never had a father there every day. Because he just, it's so natural. What's, uh, you know, you have them and it's so natural to yeah. just, mm-hmm. to just be that loving figure, but he's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I love that. You guys are, you guys are just awesome. And I love you guys. And I'm so glad that everyone listening gets, gets to know you, so to speak through this episode. And we're going to, we're going to, um, link, uh, in the show notes, how they can get in touch with you. If they have a word that they want to share with you, maybe you've encouraged them, or maybe they want to ask a further question if that's okay. But I just want to thank you guys for your time. Thank you for showing up. Honestly, I love that you weren't afraid to talk about sex. You know, that makes me happy. Um, <laughs> and, Maybe we'll have to do a part two if people want us to elaborate on or for you guys to elaborate. That would be super fun. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us.